Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher. I'm joined, as always, by Bronco Mendenhall, but a special episode for you. We, we have a new guest on, Chris Peterson. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, fellas. Good to be here. Well, the, the former BYU or former BYU and Virginia coach Bronco, and now we, we get the former Boise State and Washington coach and in, in, in Chris. Uh, so, some some fun times between the two of you. I, I had to look it up. Uh, you actually guys actually played each other four times. Uh, I, I will say, Chris, you, you went three and one uh, against Bronco. Uh, I, I, any good memories for, from some of those uh, those battles back, especially back in those whack days? Mm, mm. I don't know. Was it ever? Were we in the whack then? Uh, Mountain West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain West, yes. Oh yeah. All kind. Well, first of all, I don't really remember too many fond memories, to tell you the truth. I mean, that's probably why I'm not coaching right now, standing on that sideline. I, I remember all the negative stuff. But Bronco and I were talking just a little bit earlier. So there was w- one game that we won seven to six. And we walk across the field after and we're just looking at each other like, what in the world just happened? And me kind of being more of an offensive orientated coach I felt like we lost like when that we seven to six we did not score an offensive touchdown our defensive lineman picked it off and ran it in a 300 pounder but this is the craziness of college football so we win a game seven to six feeling like we lost we won a game on the blue turf at the time it was the highest scoring game in college football history four overtimes Colin Kaepernick Early in his career, when they were just breaking a pistol out, in fact, it was his first start was against us. So we didn't really know what was coming. We win, I think it's 69, 67, and four overtimes and could not stop him or they couldn't stop us. And after that game, I was so excited that we scored that many points. But Justin Wilcox was our DC and you looked at him and you would have thought it was the worst loss in the history of football. I'm like, Justin, we won, move on. So yeah, the craziness of college football. Bronco, I mean, Chris's offenses were known so much for, for so many shifts and, and, and motions. I, I would imagine as a defensive guy, especially limited to kind of 20 hours like, like you are in, in college, he, he must be a nightmare to prepare for. So, so let's be clear on the 20 hours. The 20 hours is for the players. The, <laughs> the, the coaches that week, like, so it was, it's 20, let's see, what's, what's seven days a week times 24 hours? That That's what that looks like. And then... You'd still go in. We'd be walking through in the parking lot right up to the time where you're supposed to get on the bus, trying to get one more just little thing in. And, you know, it and the players are just ready to go play. Right. And the coaches, the ones that are just there, we're, we're making them more anxious because we're more anxious trying to get the last shift in where it's not going to make one bit of difference at that point. And so, yeah, that it was so the innovation, the creativity, the production but also the fun. I mean, like when, when we were playing against Boise, those kids offensively, especially for Boise, they were having a blast. And yeah, that's, that, that was a cool time in college football. Except for the one night when we couldn't figure out how to get even one touchdown against you. (laughs) I think you cracked the code. (laughs) That, that, that would have been one of those codes that like maybe had like a, a four hour life expectancy where you cracked it and then it went right back, you know? So somehow we had a, like the, the lunar eclipse window in there and then it closed again. Isn't that the craziness of college football though? And the pressure of the game, like you, I, I do remember like, we're not doing anything. We're not moving the ball. And you could just feel the pressure start to change on our kids. And, and even mm-hmm. the coaches like, wait, how is this happening? Like we're not used to being, you know, slowed down much. And we could, you know, at the end of the day, we couldn't even get an offensive touchdowns. Wild times. I, I, well, I, I want to kind of dr- drill, drill down into that a little bit. But what, what is that like on the, on the sideline as, as you're, you're kind of sensing that as, as a head coach? How, how are you kind of conveying that to, 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 your, to your players and, and kind of getting them back on, on track? Yeah. And so I think there's a lot to that there. And obviously we didn't do a very good job then, you know, you're trying to come up with some answers and get them back to maybe some of the basics that you do that they've, we'd call them groove calls, you know, that you've done a million times over and over so they can just execute, but there are nights, you know, and I think that's just, you know, that's the beauty of sports and certainly college football. I mean, there's just some nights or days where it's just off and it's just not working and you're trying everything in your power to get yourself back on track and it, and, you know, everything lines up wrong for you. And there's those nights where everything lines up right. But that's why you got to go play the game. 
And that's one of those things that I think like for all the success that Chris had throughout time, there's a command presence on the sideline where like the more consistent coaches, it just seems like there's a calming effect because right. Everyone's looking to you, not only the players, but the coaches, the fans, everyone's looking right. And if you, if, if you're watching a TV broadcast after every play, the camera goes to the head coach. And, and, and to me, the, the less, um, the less dramatic you are, uh, the better it is for your entire team, right? You're just, you're just good because you're just consistent. And, and if you're like that, the camera's probably not going to be on you as much because they want the guy ranting and raving. And trust me, I knew that. I wanted to rant and rave. I wanted to throw myself down on the turf and just pound my, you know, like throw a tantrum like a six-year-old. But I knew that would work against us if we did that. So I would bite biting my tongue. So, well, speaking of biting your tongue, I, I think a lot of coaches nowadays are, are reacting to some some crazy news over the weekend. Uh, we, we just heard uh, two head coaches uh, ended up getting fired in, in Carl Durrell at Colorado. I, I think the the shocking one, and Chris, you you at Fox Sports, you do a, a ton of Big Ten games as well. I mean, Paul Chris being being uh, let go at Wisconsin, uh, I, I think sent a shock through the, through the system for fans for for pretty much anybody connected to college football. I'm curious to kind of just get get your initial thoughts uh, upon hearing that kind of news. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean. That's my initial reaction here. Um, I just don't get it. Um, I think that he, uh, you know, 72 win, uh, 72% win ratio. And uh, I think he won six and one in bowl games, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's really, really been crazy. Um, So I don't know. Well, it, it is uh, it is definitely crazy, and uh, you know, Bronco, I'm, I'm curious to kind of get your your thoughts. How how difficult can it be just to to hear that? You know, especially when when you're in meetings with some of these guys, you know, across the ways in, in the spring, you, you get to know other coaches, you know, especially around your your own league. But but how how difficult can it be for for others? You know, just kind of uh, hearing these kind of stories. Well, you just wonder really what um, what college football is becoming. You have someone in, in Paul Christ who is Wisconsin and is having success and is having repeated success. We're not talking about an up year and a down year. We're talking about repeated success with someone authentically and genuinely who fits at that institution, represents it at the highest level. And and there's now a small, and I would just say a small blip, right? At the start of a season, game five was still a chance to have a great season. And it seems like the, um, the history and the performance record to this point overrides five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times to one, whatever an off start is. And so it makes zero sense to me unless the game is only now about the finances. Like if, if we've reached that point, then I can't explain. And I don't know everything about the situation other than I know him and I know his program. And I know his success. So where what's the motive? Well, I think you said it. It, it is for some reason only about finances, but I, I don't know if I don't, from what I can see and know, it doesn't seem like the fan base has bailed on those guys, but um, that's, I think the most frustrating thing for me about college football, everything about it right now feels so transactional and it's only about money. And, you know, I, I don't know, and I know you Bronco and I know the reasons you got into coaching back in the day and not to be, you know, all high and mighty and holier than thou and those type of things. But I mean, that is so much of the joy of the game is being with the kids and the life lessons and the hard times that you go through. And it's, I mean, I really like, that's what, to me, it was at the core all about. And it just from everything about the game right now, and I love the game. I still do. I mean, when we get to play the game itself and you go between the white lines, it is awesome. And to me, it's never been better. But everything surrounding it, there's just no leadership at the top. There's no guardrails, you know, with the transferring thing and name, image and likeness, which I think we're, we're all about. I mean, we thought those rules were archaic back in the day that, wait, the kid can't make $10 off his name if he's going to. But now the pendulum has swung. And so now it's about buying players. And, you know, the big joke in the coaching world, right, is name, image, and likeness. NIL just means now it's legal. Mm-hmm. You know, some of that's been going on for, you know, a long. And so I don't know. It's just like, can we get some guardrails? Can we do what's better for the greater good of the game and the kids? 
Mm-hmm. It just because it is it is still the greatest game out there, I believe. But it'll just be nice. It just feels like the NCAA is truly tapped out of this thing, and college football has no no say, no no nothing. And so we just need to get some leadership at the top. I don't know how we do that. Because when you don't have that, it's just like every man for himself or every conference for themselves. And so now it just becomes about what's best for me and our conference and how much money we can make. I think that's where you, you, you hit the right point is, so who do the conference commissioners truly answer to now? And so when there isn't uh, a leader, right, or a really defined organizational pattern or structure to deliver the guardrails, as you said, and the infrastructure, and the boundaries necessary with young people and money and older people and money, right? Then you start getting some of the decisions that just happened with Paul Christ. And, and, but really, again, in this short break that I've taken, all the impact was on relationships, right? Yeah. The players are responding with relationship moments. And that's what I remember. And, and the moments with other coaches, like you and I walking across the blue turf after a seven, six game. Uh, and, What's going to preserve that part at the truest level where someone goes to Boise and battles his way through his red shirt ear, right? Learns from someone great above him, right? Battles on special teams, carves his way to maybe a situational role and then becomes a starter. And that's foundational to his development as a human being. But right now, the chance they make it past that red shirt year um, into anything other than special teams, they're looking elsewhere unless, right? either Chris or I can have some depth of relationship that goes beyond the game and do that so early that that holds them. And the world is telling them, why would you wait for that? But the the information I'm getting from the players that I've coached is that was everything, right? The relationship moments and the hard things and the the patience and the grinding. And and that's what made the most impact. And we're designing this thing in the exact opposite direction. Well, and you said it, the world is telling them that's the problem. Like who wants... Like, it's not in our human nature to go through hard things, <laughs> you know, that, but, but that is where the stories are. That is where, you know, all, all the good stuff really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the players that you've coached over the years, Bronco, that I've coached and the wonderful experiences that they've had, but that's at the end of that process there. Right. I, I mean, we, I know half our teams would have probably left after year mm-hmm. one or year two had those rules been in place. And I think if you look back, if, if you ask them, if you look back on them, 98% would say, oh my gosh, I'm glad we didn't have those rules. Like this kind of, this kind of made me, you know, hang in there. And wow, I would tell guys this in recruiting, listen, this thing is not going to turn out like you think it is. <laughs> this is not Disneyland. This is not all like uniforms and great stadiums and, you know, Saturdays where the crowd's going crazy for you. I mean, that, that happens six, seven times a year that you got to run out to this blue turf or, you know, Husky Stadium, the greatest setting in college. Like, that's so awesome. But six or seven times a year, what are we talking about? And I would tell them that, like, this is going to have nothing to do with your, your, your true happiness. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like the relationships, the, the lessons that you learn. And I don't know. And it's just like, that's just going out the door. And I'm not saying, and again, I, I, don't, I don't think you are either. Like guys shouldn't be able to transfer. Mm-hmm. Like some, sometimes like no coach wants a guy to stay there with them when they can't play for you mm-hmm. or there's, you know, you miss and, and, and there's a better situation. And so again, it's the fine line because you know, you, you want the kids to, to stay with you that want to stay. And if there's a kid that like just really can't play here, you want them to be able to go somewhere else. But a lot of times, as we know, like, you know, there's a big difference between talent and skill and skill takes a while to develop, mm-hmm. especially at the level, you know, at this, at this level that we're coaching at, you know, but you see these kind of, you know, these, some of these kids are so talented come in that they can get in the mix right away. But most of them, half of them really aren't ready for that. So now the world is telling them, why are you staying there? Like, there's a better opportunity right around the corner. And I don't know. It's just an interesting time. And um, it'll be interesting to watch this thing evolve. The other thing re- regards to what Chris was just saying, too, is is where in this, and this is the hardest part, where in this is um, the word sacrifice for team, right? Or team over self. And that's tough. And there are certainly occasions where we misevaluate someone and he's just not going to be able to play. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember talking to assistant coaches and that kid would still want to stay because of his passion for the place or the team. And I'd be telling the assistant coaches, no, he, he gets to stay right. right? Because they'd be wanting to in their position rooms, possibly elevate past that. And I said, absolutely not. Right. This he deserves, right. This is what we're trying to teach. And so within this whole framework right now, there has to be places right for, for this development and, and somehow a relationship that goes so deep that the team becomes like in a marriage, right? Where, where it's the other person first. And, and so we're kind of creating this, this environment where this is me over team um, in almost every situation. And, the, and quite frankly, as coaches, we've done some of that to ourselves where we leave before bowl games, right? And we, um, I don't know, leave after two years. And, and so I, I know that's not a popular thought, but we we kind of set a precedent and now the players, right, they won't play in bowl games or they're going to transfer. And so I don't know, these team or these dynasties, which I would consider what Boise State was when Chris was there, one of those, right, where it was a destination and pe- and kids would hold and, and, and carve out their way just to be part of that. And man, it's hard to see programs, especially what just happened to Wisconsin. It's hard to see that that's going to be prevalent much longer. Um if it, if it even is now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I do think everybody feels like there needs to be some, like we say, guardrails, like mm-hmm. how do we do this where it, it is for the greater good. It is mm-hmm. better for the game. And then most importantly, it is better for the kids. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean like, you know, that every decision that a kid makes committing to a school is the right one that there should, but there's, there needs to be some sort of slowdown mechanism a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can learn those, you know, they can, I don't know. I, I know it, it, it's really, I know I'm walking on thin ice here when we're talking about these life lessons and coaches making and the money that we made coaching football, mm-hmm. you know, you can come across like a hypocrite very easily, but I'm not in the game anymore. Like I'm, so I'm just trying to like, look at the game and just go, how, how do you do it better for the kids? Because like we said, when the game's played, there's nothing better, but everything around it, is so transactional and the messages of the world that they're getting and it's all about money and it's all about what's in it for me right now. Like these are just not, it's just not it. Well, and as difficult as, as this uh, re- reaction to, to Paul Chris firing has been, and, and it's certainly difficult for Paul being, being an alum of the school, being, being a Madison native, uh, it is also an opportunity for, for Jim Leonard, uh, the defense coordinator. He's going to be the interim. Uh, I think everybody around the Badgers program would, would like him to kind of uh, take hold of that, that, that job and kind of, kind of take it by its reins. And, and I'm kind of curious, Chris, going, going back to your early days, uh, when, when Dan Hawkins left for Colorado, you were, you were elevated pretty quickly there at, at Boise State and into head coach. Did, did, did you feel ready for, for t- kind of taking that on and, and running that? program especially given the success that that kind of came before you at Boise State you're asking yeah oh my gosh (laughs) not in a million years I didn't really want I didn't want the job to tell you the truth when Dan Hawkins decided to go to Colorado you know I was his offensive coordinator and at Boise and so in my mind for a couple days you know I was going to Boise with him but then it just kind of hit me that I had really no excitement about leaving. I just wanted to be the best offensive coordinator that I could be in the country. I was trying to be just as good as I could be. And I felt like there was more meat on the bone. So I was still learning and getting better, I felt. And so now my world's turned upside down uh, and thinking, okay, I'm just going to go do that job at Colorado. But, you know, you got to trust your instincts and your gut sometimes where I just, there wasn't excitement. Like, I'm like, I'm going to go to Boulder and do the same thing. Like that's, I just wasn't feeling that. So then I'm thinking, you know, okay. I remember Dan saying, well, you, you know, if you want it, and Dan was so awesome, you know, he, he was just all, he was so good to the assistants always, but he's like, Hey, well, if you want to be the head coach here, <laughs> I think they'd make you the head coach here. And I'm thinking, well, I don't really want to do that either, <laughs> but you know, I knew they might, you're going to hire somebody else and then they might not want me or we might not mesh with our philosophies. So I'm like, Oh boy, you know, and so, because I knew I wasn't really prepared my whole skill set was like, you know, you pay attention to what the head coach does, but you're not like working on that or fixated on that. You're fixing on how to be a great coordinator. And so I take the job and I mean, every day for, for a couple of years, like, no, not every day for a couple of years, every day as a head coach, you're learning something new, but there's such a, 
you know, a lack of really what is going on in the head coach's world. So, I mean, it was like every day a crash course in <laughs> management and leadership and all these types of things. And I'm looking around like, why are you, you know, the D, we'd have a problem with the D lineman or something. And I'm like, well, why are you coming to me with that? And I'm like, this is your problem now. And I'm like, oh, here we go. You know? But really the crazy thing was too, you know, I inherited a really good team, a really experienced team. Um, I was there for a lot of years. I knew the culture. I loved the culture. You put a couple tweaks on it, you know, to maybe pour gas on the fire a little bit, a little bit of newness on it. And then we go win all of our games. So everybody thinks you've got it figured out. Oh, this is, I didn't have it figured out. You know, timing is everything in life. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And I mean, I really felt like, you know, that was me for the most part. But well, you you were both lucky and and good, especially that that season, your first season. I, I mean, I think everybody understands, you know, the, the success that you guys had. You, you kind of elevated it there. Did, did, did setting that bar kind of high? Uh, did did you, did you kind of worry about that almost a little bit? Internalize kind of some some of the issues, like, hey, I, I got to maintain it at, at winning and, and going to BCS games all the time. I remember one of my friends called me afterwards, and he's like, "Just get out, just hang it up." right now just get out and i'm like huh he's like it's only going to be downhill from now you know and i you know i remember another one of my buddies coming out and so you know things started to change we went a big game and people are like you know our president was really great there in terms of building facilities and stuff and so we built a brand new press box and so i remember it was halfway done one of my friends comes out he was a high school coach he looks at it and he goes how does that make you feel and i'm like not good <laughs> more pressure, and he goes that's exactly what I was thinking about you know I think that and I know some coaches that I talk with regularly that are super successful and you try to make it not being all about the end of the, the record the winning the money the profits but that's all like that's all that anybody cares about and so for you to keep perspective and keep fighting for what is important, you almost have to be Superman. You have to put a plan together. This is a whole nother topic we could talk about, but I mean, everything in the world today does not care about anything, the process, <laughs> they just care about the results. And sometimes when you have good results, like Paul Chris did, it's still not good enough. So I'm, you know, I'm still trying to figure this out. What, what is good enough? Because again, as soon as you set those, that bar to whatever it's going to be, it's just a short matter of time before that is not good enough. And, and Bronco, I'm sure you, you have had to deal with that as well. I mean, all the success you had there, there at BYU and, and then building Virginia up. I, I mean, I, I would think that that is also some, some unique pressures that, that every coach has to deal with. I think there's a shelf life. Um, and, and so it's not only how many wins, it's then how you're winning. Like, and, and I think in the industry, you call it style points. And then the head coach, they expect you to be part of an, like an entertainer as well. And then your press conference gets graded after the game, like it's a separate thing from the game. Um, and so the, 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 this, the young, I, I remember coming into one of the games at Virginia and we just won, I think nine games or, and we're going to the orange bowl. And it's the halftime. And I remember a kid, I, I looked over and he's in the locker room and he's grabbed his phone. And I was like, when did this become a thing? Because normally I would sequester myself off and not, you know, just for a little bit. And and these kids are measuring themselves, but now adults are measuring themselves with attention capital. Like how many likes, how many, what do people think? Even to the point where the players were looking at halftime to think what other people thought of how they played when they're supposed to be looking internally to how they played and listening to their coaches, but they're so concerned. And then as the expectations grow, like Pete says, where, where then, what if there's no more jokes that you have as the head coach, or what if you're out of trick plays or what if, what if, you know, it's just one of those days where you don't win by enough and it might be year seven, I don't know, or year six. And there's kind of this imposed time frame that if you don't measure that, then you feel momentum kind of being lost and, and the money is driving all that at an exponential rate. And really by year two now, if you're not showing a significant trend almost straight up or by year three, that's not good enough. Well, then how do you sustain that? And what we're learning is not many are. And so then either the player, the coach or the AD, someone's leaving 
or everyone's leaving and you kind of start over. Chris, uh, we, we were mentioning Dan Hawkins there. He, he's, of course, back at uh, UC Davis now. That, that's where you got your start uh, playing for playing and coaching, I guess, for, for the legendary uh, Jim Socor. What was it about that environment, though, that, that uh, he, he created? Because it, it's not just you. We mentioned just the, the, the line of UC Davis uh, alums or, or people that have gone to that program that have gone on to have success at, at other major college football programs is it, quite the list, including yourself. What was it about that kind of environment at, at UC Davis that uh, kind of allowed you guys to transition easily you know, and into having success? places like uh, Boise State and Washington. Yeah. Um, all I can say is I was blessed with game-changing coaches that were so mm-hmm. far ahead of their time, not only in terms of teaching the game. So Jim Soker was an unbelievable teacher of offensive football. Um, in fact, Bill Walsh's son had played a couple years before at UC Davis. So Bill Walsh and Jim Soker were very good friends. And so Coach Soker, you know, had – you know, he was a legend in, in the in the coaching circles at little old UC Davis Division II at the time. But so he was always using these guys and staying, you know, cut above. We were, we, we were, ran the West Coast offense when I was there, when, when Bill Walsh was just breaking it out. And so the game was finally taught to me where it started to make sense. I was a quarterback back in the day, and, you know, I'd have those games where it was just like terrible. And the next game you'd come out and play pretty well. And it was just so up and down. And because I really kind of look back on it, I was finally like taught like in this really unique systematic fashion, what I was looking at, how to do this. And it all came through the West Coast system and Jim Soker just being this elite teacher. And then there was uh, Bob Foster, who was another one there that took over for Jim Soker. And then Bob Biggs, all these guys who then became the head coach after, they were all in this program together for a long time. But so it wasn't just about them teaching, but it was also how they treated the kids. Like I always say this, I don't remember anyone ever raising their voice during a game at on at practice, unless it was a positive thing. Now this is back in the day, like 30 years ago, right. With old school coaching, you know, where, you know, people are in your face and all this kind of like, they were the modern coaches long before the modern athlete and the modern times were in. And so it was just wonderful. Like you talk about building self-esteem and self-confidence, like that was their whole thing. So you'd make a mistake and, you know, you're kind of used to maybe cowering down from maybe some past coaches. And it's like, that wasn't it at all. They were just teachers of the game and really even like teachers of life long before any of that stuff was cachet to do, was was cool Mm -hmm. to do. I mean, they were just ahead of their times. And that, that, man, that just, uh, what a beautiful, beautiful experience. And then, you know, Chris gets to pass that on to his program and the impact of those coaches that, that is, I think at its purest form, what we're trying to do. And just, it feels so good to hear that. Um, and the impact it's made not only on other coaches and a very successful head coach and Pete, but the players that got to play for him as well, right? That's just, that's the greatest gift you can give, which to me, is the purest reason to coach, right? Is to build people, which that, what a beautiful story. I mean, and, that, and that's, I mean, I look back Bronco and I've told this many times, like from my time at Davis playing, and then I coached there for five years. I, we, we had a freshman team with a bunch of players. And that two years I was the freshman coach. And then I coached three years there before I really wasn't going to be a coach. My dad was a coach, a junior college coach forever. So I had been in the, I'd seen it firsthand, like this coaching thing. And it wasn't until I really got with these guys and really, you know, had that experience. And then I was coaching, getting a master's degree on the side and I was going to go do something different. And I, so I think about that experience and fast forward towards late into my career. And I would just shake my head and go like, wait, how did I get here? Like Mm -hmm. this, and not that where I was, was all bad. I wasn't trying to say like, this was all bad, but it was so different than what Bronco's talking about. It was just purity, like love of the kids, love of the game. Um, Yeah, you know, it's just, and again, those were just spectacular good old day times, like looking back at those memories. Um, And so again, that's, that's my reference point. And when we're talking about what's going on in college football today, um, you know, certainly at this next, this highest level, Man, it's, it's mind-numbing to me. 
I, I mean, Chris, you, you were also known uh, kind of kind of for doing the same thing that uh, Jim did at, at UC Davis there in terms of developing your staff. I mean, Brian Harson's at, at Auburn. You had Justin Wilcox now at Cal, Andy Avalos, of course, uh, back there at Boise running the show. Even Alex Van Pelt, uh, who, who, you, your, your brief trip to, to the East Coast uh, there at Pitt is, is now the Browns OC. Uh, what, what is it about in, in terms of developing your own staff, you know, that, that you were able to kind of kind of foster that, that uh, I guess, loving program to, to where guys could have success and, and then move on and run their own program? Yeah, well, and I think Bronco, I mean, this is this is what Bronco would attest to. This this is what it's all about. It is about the kids in the locker room and being able to like, you know, teach them. And I mean, I know this sounds so corny and so cliche-ish, but to use the platform of sport, of this experience, to become better people. I mean, that's what it's about. And then to have your staff and to do things like in a unique way to you that you're all about. It's about your formula for success because like there's no magic potion, but there is a formula for success. There's a hundred percent, the building blocks of a successful formula of a successful program have to come through these, these foundational blocks in my opinion. And so then to get everybody on the same page and create alignment and then have the staff push it out to the players and get everybody rowing in the same direction is super, super difficult to do, but so rewarding when you get that thing all going the same direction and you can feel like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. The best teams that I've been on, I'd call them gold standard teams. There's probably maybe five of them that I've been on in my playing and coaching career. And there is no better feeling when you get that, when you create that environment or you're part of that environment, I mean, it's just like something you'll never forget. And it's not even really about the wins. A couple of those gold standard teams that I'm talking about were not the undefeated teams. I will remember this. So my first year as a head coach, right, at Boise, we are undefeated. I had that on one of my, I had, I've saved this goal list that I've had that I started when I was like just getting out of college. I look at that list and I just laugh at it. But one of my goals was to be on an undefeated team as a player or coach an undefeated team. I always never got it done. My first year as a head coach, we're undefeated. We, we beat Oklahoma. We're undefeated. I'm not kidding you. About two weeks later, I'm looking around and I don't want to say I'm depressed, but I'm certainly like disillusioned and trying to figure out like, wait, that that's that's all it is that's what it feels like mm -hmm. that's not what i'm looking for mm -hmm. what am i missing here and everybody around you you know the world around you is going crazy for this season for this game and i'm like oh boy am i on the wrong track here because that's not what it's about like we're a great team i love that but just being undefeated in itself and all those things and so like i was going to say a couple of these gold standard teams that i'd say we're not undefeated we performed at a high level, but it wasn't all about the record. It was about the relationships and the experience and the hard things that we had to go to together to overcome. That's what it was about. It couldn't be the hard things together is one of the greatest gifts we can do with people that really care about you and you care about them. That's transformational. And I, I remember a story. I'm not going to share the given head coach, but won a national championship is holding up the crystal ball with all the confetti coming down and I'm visiting with him. And he's saying in that moment, while he's holding up the ball and the confetti's coming, he's in his mind thinking there has to be more than this right in that moment. He that's what is in his head. So just like what Chris was saying, the, the winning it's, it's essential to keep your job and to, to do the job, but man, is it, it's not sustaining. Bronco, just along those lines, I know a, a, a coach that was an assistant coach at the time that was on a national championship team really not that long ago. And they had so much talent and they just overwhelmed people with talent. And he said within a half hour after the ceremony and all that, the locker room was completely cleared out and gone. That they had won at the highest level the same thing but the team, it wasn't what I would call this gold standard team that was just connected. And it was the, you know, the whole is greater than some of the parts. And we went through all this and we loved each other. And we made each other better. And 
It was about us. And it was about we, not me. It was all those things that we talk about. They win a national championship and it was just like people couldn't wait to get out. Mm-hmm. And so it really like is about those things. But the, the crazy thing is, is you have to like go through these life lessons to experience what you and I have experienced to then be able to pass them on to others to wait. No, no, no. I'm just telling you, like you're heading down the wrong path. You know, I, I did this, this thing, this exercise when I stepped away, wrote a letter to my younger self. And one of my buddies encouraged me, he goes, you should write a letter to your younger self. Like, what were the lessons? You, what, what would you tell your younger self? And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, why do I want to do that? I don't want to go do that. So it took me a month or so. And then finally I said, what would I tell myself? So I sat down and, and I just started writing. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I was like, who's writing this? It was like an outer body experience. It was like, hold on, pump the brakes, slow down. You're heading the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it had to do with all my competitiveness and how, <laughs> you know, it can be about like you being so competitive and just wanting to win. And, and it's just like, not, that's part of it. But like the important things, it's just really not about the winning. Like you, like you said, Bronco, that is important. I'm not trying to minimize that profits, winning, um, success, however you're measuring that in your business and your teams, it is important because if we are losing and not getting results, it's miserable. We know that, but that's only a really small portion of what's really important in this thing when it's done right. Well, and, and Chris, you, you've brought up and for, for a couple of times, you, you, you're kind of recruiting philosophy. I, I talked with a, with Bronco about it, uh, just how, how you got to find the, the right fit with, with the players in particular to kind of buy into to your vision. You're, you're known for, for recruiting some, some OKGs, you know, our kind of guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just kind of curious how, how you kind of meld that, that, that overall uh, approach to how, how your program is, is being run and what you want it to be run and, and, and marrying that with, uh, with the recruits that you're trying to bring in. Yeah. And so, you know, again, it it goes way back to early in my coaching days as an assistant coach. And it really was around like um, having a room that maybe, you know, a a group of guys that there might have been a guy or two that um, either inherited or you just were not on the same page with on how you want to operate on and, and what you're all about and what they're all about. And I remember this one season, like I I had a player that might've been the best player on our team. And on Saturdays, it was like, wow, unbelievable. So fun to watch, watch him play. I mean, spectacular. The fans love him. We all love him. And then Sunday through Friday was just a lot of pain. Like we were not on the same page. It was, you know, it just felt like it was a lot of babysitting, a lot of just, making sure we're getting from point A to point D point B academics. Are you taking care of this? Like, and I just remember at the end of that season being so worn out and going, this isn't what it's about. It's about recruiting kids that really fit your philosophy, what you're all about, knowing what they're walking into. And if they're not about that, then they should go somewhere else because it's about being aligned because And then working through hard things together because there's going to be a lot of hard things. And so that's where it really came from. And so then when, when I became a, you know, a head coach, I just kind of took that philosophy. It's like, listen, what are we all about? What are the things like, who are we looking, you know, as coaches, what are we all about? And then who are the kids? And so really this thing was about what are, and so this character part of things I, we would, so there's, there's talent level, right? So you're obviously looking for talent. They got to meet, they got to jump that bar. But I've been around so many talented people that go nowhere, that do nothing. Like, I mean, Bronco, I'm sure that's just like, you could count and endless people. Like, why is this? Why can't they get it? Well, to me, I think there's this other segment that I would call, you know, we'd say like the talent level is the floor, but the character level is the ceiling. Now, when I'm talking about character, though, I'm talking about something a little bit different than just moral character. You know, I think that's important. Don't get me wrong. But I think this character is about performance character or skills. So what are those like? That's that's the relationships that, um, 
you know, the behavior that governs the relationship with yourself, how competitive you are, how passionate you are, how maybe disciplined you are. It's the things that get you up really early in the morning to go do your craft. And then on the other hand, there is relational character or skills. And that's how you relate to others. And so what are those that you're looking for in your people, the kids you're going to recruit or the staff members? And knowing what those are and at least trying to, you know, have some big rocks that like these are the important things in this organization. And I would call it like you're stacking the deck, right? Like you're just... Yeah, they got talent, but do they have all this other stuff, this this chemistry stuff, this character stuff to really be able to build skill and go through all these hard things? Because they don't have that. Like, it's such a hard, difficult process that you've got to be able to weather the storms, right, to, to, to take the next step. So that's how the OK. And so then it was like, well, what are these guys? Well, they're like kind of like, you know, remember back in the day, like people were talking about old G's. It was OGs. It's like, we're not OGs. They're like, OKGs are our kind of guys. And that's how it morphed into that. And so that's what we were looking for. And yeah, that's how that whole thing came about. Anytime Anytime you're that distinctive about what you're looking for, or you're that clear about who you are, what your culture is, and then the real test is executing against that, right? So here comes a great talented player that you know will make a difference, but just doesn't fit. Saying no a lot of times is is harder than saying yes. And and so the identities of those programs that Chris coached, you you could you could sense the alignment uh, because of the selection and assessment. And man, the more clear you are about selection and assessment, and being able to say no to the wrong ones, man, does that make your week better? And it's just. No matter how much you win, if you're doing it with kids that aren't aren't aligned, um, uh, just for me personally, that's not worth it. Yeah. And I would tell you this. I really got irritated, to tell you the truth, towards the end of my career about this OKG label because people took it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. They took it to be like just these really kind of goody two-shoe kids that weren't really that good of players. You know, they were just – all these clean cut kids. It wasn't anything that wasn't that at all. Like we had our formula. It was about kids that were passionate about football that were, that loved the game that were going to love their teammates, that it wasn't maybe just all about them, that they really were like, and you can find these answers out by talking to their coaches and their assistant coaches. And so it really, like, it didn't matter. Like, the beautiful thing, Bronco, and you can attest to this, is the diversity in the locker room. To have yes. these kids that come over from everywhere and then you come together and it's just like, this is so beautiful. Like, it just, we're all the same deep down. Like, what we're all about. You know, how we were raised, the culture and all those type of things, they might be different. But when you get down to it and we're going through it, man, it's all about you can just feel we're all the same and we all need love and support and care and acceptance. If we're going to do something special in our lives, right? Like we need people in that to be. And so to bring that locker room together and like to teach those kind of concepts and, and to meld that together. And you know, that's the, that's the beauty of coaching. That's what it's all about right there. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Chris, I, I've, I've been talking with with Bronco quite a bit about his his pause right now that that he's on, and 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 getting back into coaching, and that's kind of kind of why we're we're doing this podcast. You you said on on a different podcast this this past summer after you left the Washington job, you kind of never allowed yourself to to reset. And, and I'm kind of curious these past three years how you've gone about doing that. Well, let let me go back to Bronco here because you you know what Bronco is doing, in my opinion is the smartest thing that any coach that's been at it for a long time could do to step away. It's almost like you take a sabbatical. And in fact, you will not be at your best if you don't do what Bronco's doing. And I heard something, Bronco, I think you were talking to a reporter or something and somebody's going, Hey, how would you convince an AD that like you're, (laughs) you really want to do this, that you're passionate about it. And I'm just shaking my head going, wow. Do people not get this? This job, this coaching football, you know, college football this day, it is a 24-7, truly 365 job. 
Even if you try to break away and go on vacation, you are not away. You're going to get calls. You're going to, you know, it's just like, and you really have to build the skill in your mind to be able to compartmentalize. Okay. When I go home, I'm at home. I am where my feet are. I don't take this job with me. That's a whole nother discussion that takes tremendous skill building. But to me, like what Bronco's doing, stepping away, getting refreshed, getting recharged, creating, making sure that he's got perspective. Because the reason that I stepped away is because after so many years in the grind, you just get worn out. It, this is a marathon with a sprinter's mentality. So you are sprinting every day. And you just pour all that energy out. And then all of a sudden, the walls of society that are pushing on you on things that are not important, they start to be, they start to squeeze you and your vision and your focus becomes very narrow. So now you're a narrowed version of your best self. And so you need time to be able to recharge, refocus, be able to keep perspective and fight for perspective. And so that's what Bronco was doing. When I stepped away, I didn't know, am I going to coach again? All I know is I lost perspective and this is not feeling right. I'm at the, you know, maybe the pinnacle of my career and being at the University of Washington, this beautiful place with these awesome kids that we've spent like years recruiting. I mean, everything like was awesome. It was great, except for me, I wasn't great. And I knew it and I was slipping and my perspective was off. And I, and I started to do that a little bit at the end of my time at Boise. That's why I did left. I mean, I think Bronco's saying, I think every place has a shelf life. He's spot on. It's really a self-life between us. Have we worn out, you know, our welcome there? Is, there? is there some new growth opportunities? And then the people get tired of you, no matter how well you're doing. They just get tired of that message. And so it's a really complicated thing. But I just think this, I've learned so many things being out of it. And I know this, what Bronco's doing, stepping away, and he, he needs to get back into it, like the game needs Bronco Mendenhall, is the best thing that he could possibly do. And I just heard people, you know, somebody questioning that. Well, how would you create, convince an AD? Well, I will tell you this, if an AD is on it, there's going to be no convincing. They're going to know, oh, this dude is sharp. He steps away at a high point. You know, the things that he did at Virginia – and then now he's getting refreshed, recharged, getting that perspective lined back up. And now here I go. That didn't really answer your question, but that's what goes when I think about Bronco. So, so Pete, you said that almost exactly as I wrote it for you. Thank, thanks for presenting I mean, that in I mean, that endorsement. I, feel kind of, I really kind of feel kind of cheesy saying that because it's like, yeah, here I am promoting my buddy. That's not, it's just like, People don't know from the outside what the arena feels like, and especially when you've done it for a long time. So now you got a guy with all this wisdom, this experience, but the pressures are extreme. And so like to step out, like I think every coach should do that. Like guys that have been done really thing to see a guy step out and go, Hey, no, I'm just getting recharged here. I'm going to see, I'm going to, reevaluate things in my life, get a better perspective and I'll probably step back in, but I don't see anyone doing that. I see them getting fired and then wanting to claw, claw, claw their way back in because now they got all the scarring because, you know, like that's another conversation. So, so I, I, there, Brian, there couldn't have been a better first guest for us uh, because right. There's, there's no perspective that you can't have the perspective that Pete has without the success, but also the time but also the unique experiences. Um, there's not a point of reference in college football that he hasn't had. And, and it's really fun as a, a human being, but also a coach to then run into a peer that, that is like-minded and authentic and genuine and truthful. Right. And, and is willing to share that in, in a in industry right now, really hard to find. And so it just seemed like this, like who better, on our show to just just add you know uh, a benchmark as what what this really is or what it could be or at its best what it is and so just really fun to listen
It is, and and, and now I, I, we were kind of joking, but before we even we didn't hit record, Chris, you, you're, you're looking great. You're, you're feeling refreshed. Uh, I, I'm kind of curious as you spoke about Bronco in in that way and and, and taking the, this this pause. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I say this, and I might get in trouble. We, we share some some common bo- bosses at uh, at Fox Sports. They might not like me asking, but I, I mean, do, do you kind of feel a little bit like saying, yeah, maybe maybe I would like to, to get back into coaching? Yeah, the one thing I know, Brian, is I've learned over time to never say never. Um, I learned that a long time ago because you hear coaches say, oh, no, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm... And what I've learned is they really mean that at that time. But life changes and you change. And so then things shift. And so I've learned to never say never. But where I am right now, I don't see myself stepping back in between the lines I will say this, I am extremely passionate of making an impact still. So I felt like all the stuff, like you can make such an impact with these kids, these 18 to 24 year old kids that we're coaching. I just, you know, where I am in my life, I just want to make an impact with a different crowd. Um, Maybe even more of an impact rather than having your own team that you can get to other coaches. You know, I, I work with other coaches and, and be able to share some of these things and partner and be a thinking partner for other coaches that I know, like I am more passionate now from the lessons that I've learned going through it, from the lessons I've learned from stepping out of it to get perspective, to know what everybody's going through and to be able to assist and help and, you know, walk with people on their journey and really try to make an impact for them. So I'm all about making an impact. I just don't see it at this time in the lane that I was in before. Well, that, that is well said, and, and Bronco is 100% right. Uh, we, we could not have asked for, for a better guest than, than Chris Peterson, the former Boise State and, and Washington head coach. Chris, thanks you so much for, for joining us. Well, we'll have to have you on again. I, I think we could probably do uh, another hour or two uh, just on some of those Boise State and, and Washington teams that you had, but uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Guys, it's awesome. I'm glad you're doing this podcast and talking about type of things because I think a lot of, you know, just a lot of people could, you know, use this and, help their own perspective on things, especially if if they're into coaching, because, uh, wow, what, what an impact we can make with all these kids that need us now more than ever before. Thanks so much for being on. What a, it feels like we were just talking on the phone. Other people just happen to be listening this time. (laughs) My pleasure guys. You guys have a great day. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate it, Chris Peterson. And uh, for for Bronco Mendenhall, I'm Brian Fisher. Thank you so much for, for joining us here on another edition of Head Coach U. We'll see you next week. 